podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I, as ever, am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, good to be on as ever and we've got two great guests as usual. One is a veteran and one is a newbie. Unbelievable. <laughs> Sorry, Carl, had to do it. Unbelievable. Literally, literally 30 seconds before this podcast started, Leanne promised not to call Carl a veteran and yet here we are. Um, so, as, as, Leanne has, as Leanne has said, we have got the veteran himself, Carl Karpak, joining us. Carl, how are you? Well, fine until about 30 seconds ago. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Thank you. This is my second podcast of the night, though, so um, Paul Gallagher producing both podcasts is going to hear my views twice. Guy loves listening to your views, so otherwise you wouldn't do it. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got, he's, got, he's got no say. True. And we've also got Aeon joining us. Aeon, as Leanne alluded to, is a newbie. Aeon, it's good to have you on. Absolute pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, always a pleasure to have another Aussie on. So we will kick off with your article, Leon, and we're going to be talking about player managers, specifically the article that you wrote asking about whether or not we're seeing a sort of a rebirth for the sort of player manager. So I'm really, really curious to get your thoughts because it's a really different article to the sort of stuff that we usually talk about. So if you want to sort of talk us through your article, talk us through your general thought process, and then we can get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially with... Um, Pep Guardiola's introduction into the Premier League about two years ago, uh, we've seen a real, you know, tactical evolution of what football England should really be about. And, um, no player more so, in my view, is, uh, you know, able to transmit Guardiola's ideas onto the field than Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, when you see him on the field, he's just always looking for space, something which Guardiola has mentioned numerous times in all of his his teams um, and his ability to utilize that space effectively, not just with the skill that he has on the ball, but with his movement off the ball as well. And I think that that's so important. Uh, and something that we've been missing at Liverpool for a few years now. Um, <clears throat> our capture of uh, Virgil van Dijk in January was fantastic in so many ways, not just that he was able to shore up the defense, but in the way that he directed all of the other defenders in the team. Uh, and you can always see it when somebody else is on the ball, when um, Trent's on the ball on the right-hand side, uh, he's got his hands in the air directing where he should play. Should he play it back to the keeper? Should he play it into space up ahead? Can he take it forward? Or, you know, simple things like that. So I really think it is very, very important uh, for these, you know, players to be on the field. Um, so the Klopp isn't necessarily always, um, you know, barking instructions. And recently... If you if you if you look at the sideline, he's just you know got his arms crossed, just watching. He's not even you know shouting at players that they need to be this and that you know over there or you know pressing at this particular time. They know because in each of the different areas, I believe that there is a so-called you know pseudo player manager already on the field. So we've got you know as I mentioned Virgil at the back, and now with Naby's arrival, um, so much of what he does is perfectly suited to Klopp mentality. So this is essentially where I got the idea for writing the article itself. It's just that because Naby is such a perfect player for Klopp as a manager, 
he may as well be a player manager in himself. So that's why, you know, I thought to write this article. And, you know, you can see it through his actions, especially in the first game against West Ham. Just, just every time he touched the ball, it was just magic. And I feel like the crowd at Anfield at the time could feel it as well. They were just absolutely buzzing with his arrival, just applauding his every move. And, you know, it was just majestic to watch. You know, truly, truly a great, you know, heir to that number eight um, shirt that Gerard has left. Um, you know, and nobody's been able to fill it for the past few few seasons. And I think that, you know, Kader is, you know, the perfect man to do so. And of course we have Bobby up front who, you know, leads the press, drops deep, you know, is, and it's just, you know, causes chaos. And, you know, as Klopp put it, um, has put it in so many interviews, he likes, you know, heavy metal football. And, and that's the way I like to think of our playing style, um, as, you know, organized chaos, if you will. Okay. So that's a really, really interesting look at it. Um, I'm really curious to hear everyone's thoughts on this. And of course, we'll start with you, Carl. What was your take on the article? And have you got any brilliant anecdotes about uh, playing managers or how you see our squad at the moment? Well, I think um, every single football team, every successful team has um, a captain who should be a manager in the in the future anyway. The obvious one for me is James Milner. Not because that's a dig in any way against Jordan Henderson, but because James Milner um, has won leagues, and you know, regardless of the, you know that he played in a fantastic side or anything like that, he knows what it is to win leagues and how to get the manager's uh, point across. And it's not just you know in terms of things like attacking or defending; it's game intelligence. It's things like when to take the, when to take the yellow card, things like that. It's um, every player. Every successful club needs somebody like that. And so, and I think, for example, um, the, the big point I come across to this, without, without looking at Steven Gerrard, is that when um, we played Man City in 2014 and Henderson got sent off and we didn't have him for the last games, um, I think that really, really... Uh, I know he's vice-captain, and I think that that really said something. That was one of the reasons why you know it went wrong after that as well, because you need somebody on the pitch who is going to be transmitting the manager's ideas rather than just going... I'm trying to think of an example to use of Manchester United. Manchester United on Sunday, where basically they just weren't... There was no plan. There just wasn't one. And they were looking at the bench going, we don't know what we're doing here. And Lukaku said... Uh, sorry, Pogba said, um, we weren't prepared enough. And it's not the fact that they weren't prepared enough. It's that they weren't just following the manager's orders because everyone knows what uh, Mourinho does. Everyone knows the way he plays games. He, he goes from the defence first, he locks it down in the midfield and wins 1-0. That's what he wants to do. And that's fine, incidentally, if you like that sort of thing. And if Liverpool win the league doing that, I wouldn't mind at all. Um, so uh, it was a very interesting article because I think I think it's, it, it speaks of, you know, footballers aren't just footballers, they've got to think as well. Because when a footballer has got a game intelligence and he's following orders from the manager, then everything comes from that. What you can't afford to have is a team who aren't transmitting the manager's ideas. And it's a perfect example of that on Sunday with Man United. And I thought it was really telling when Paul Pogba said afterwards, why did you lose the game? And he just said they were more prepared than us. I thought that spoke volumes because that's not the case. Everybody knows how Jose Mourinho plays. Everyone knows that he likes to keep it tight at the back. He ties to midfield. You nick a 1-0 and you go and, and you get, if you get enough of those, you win the league. And that's fine. That's fine as a tactic. That works. If Liverpool win the league doing that, we won't because Klopp's not like that. But say the next manager after Jürgen Klopp does that and we win the league, fine, I can do it. But when Paul Pogba said that, that just said to me, 
we weren't listening. You're not a team at that point. You're individuals, and which has been Man United's problem for a while. I know the show isn't about Man United, but I thought it was a really interesting contrast. And the article made me think of that, about how managers have to have representatives on the pitch. And the good thing about this Liverpool side at the moment, as the article suggests, is we've got plenty of them. We've got absolutely plenty of those. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I think um, the one interesting part of the article for me, which I, I'd pose back, um, is usually a playing manager, obviously, is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's a guy who's in charge, not just off the pitch, um, in, in terms of picking the team and things, but also on the pitch with his teammates. Um, so it's really interesting to see, for me personally, the evolution of that idea, because now it's in the article it's been talked about how maybe a player embodies the style of their manager. So City obviously was De Bruyne um, or, or David Silva, Liverpool. I, it, I would argue it's Firmino. Um, Tyler's worker chips in defensively, provides that first line of defence. And he also embodies the ener- energetic and enthusiastic style of our of our football. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily class those players as player managers because I think it's one thing to embody what your manager um, is doing or the manager's ethos, the way they want to play. But it's another thing to be able to have the, the nous to be a manager and to do the, the off-the-field bit. So I, I completely agree with the fact that some teams, including Liverpool, have a player that defines their manager, defines that philosophy. But I just find it really, really interesting that it's sort of this idea of the evolution of a player manager and how the likes of Virgil van Dijk, Naby Keita, James Milner, these players who do embody what, what Liverpool are all about on the pitch, I don't necessarily think that they can be classed as player managers, but, but it, it is well, a it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, but, but as I said, a player manager is someone who plays football while they're managing, and these players, they embody Klopp, but it's Klopp who's the manager. He's the one that's doing the managerial aspect. So they're players. They're not coming up with the tactics of the team, which is part of being a player manager. Well, what's interested me is going back, and this is way before my age, I want to say that straight away, is one of the greatest midfielders of the 1960s was Bobby Charlton, even though obviously I'm duty-bound to despise him because of who he plays for. Um, uh, when uh, Bobby Charlton was basically a fantastic player of his generation, and yet, when he became a manager, useless. I mean, really, incredibly bad. He just didn't have it at all. So you can't really tell because one of the best players of the generation is going to be one of the best managers. This is why I don't quite get on with the, the, the uh, Zidane thing. Because people are saying, well, he was the best player of, of that age, the late 90s, so he's going to be one of the best managers. I don't think it is that. I think that Madrid really good because of the infrastructure, not because of the manager. But um, because I think I could, I could manage Real Madrid to get them top four. That's and not a player manager, though. Z- like Zidane's not. No, a I know, no, no, I'm, I'm making the point between. Now he's a manager. That's, yeah, but, but people, that's, that's but people, but point. people are saying because he's brilliant, that he's going to be a brilliant manager as well. Yeah, I, Whereas I think not, someone like James point. Milner. Yeah. Because I think what's interesting with James Milner, who's the example I would use, is he's tactically very aware when things are changing within a game. He's not just playing his own game, and even when he's not captain, this is why you need captains in your team, not just one. You need lots of them. Virgil Van Dijk. Firmino, you know, people like that who can all, who can marshal things when the game changes. Because a, a game of football is one ninety minutes spell. It's different types of moments within a game. I've just used the clock word. There haven't I? Moments. In this moment, we are good. Um, and I think that's where managers come from. 
yeah, if I just um, touch on what you were saying earlier about Manchester United, Carl, um, I think essentially the reason why, as you pointed out on Sunday, they didn't really know what they're doing is because the way that Mourinho is playing, the, the players are really being asked to go against their instincts. Yeah. When you, when you look, when you, yeah, absolutely. So when you look at all the players that are on the pitch, you see Pogba, you see Lukaku, you see, you know, uh, to an extent, you know, maybe, maybe even David De Gea coming from a Spanish background. He's been forced to kick the ball long, whereas in Spain, they would play it on the floor, play it up in the back. Pogba is usually part of dominating teams. Like, I, I know in, in, in the World Cup, uh, France didn't necessarily play that way, but, you know, even for Juventus, they had a lot of the ball. He would do a lot of passing and moving and, and that kind of stuff. And Lukaku, you see, um, the way that he played for Belgium as well in the World Cup, that was, you know, he was probably one of the best players at the tournament because his off the ball movement as much as the way that he moved, you know, did things on the ball was frankly excellent. That, that, um, the movement that he had for Belgium's winner against Japan, that was quite frankly one of the highlights of the tournament for me. That was absolutely insane. And if Mourinho is not able to get all of these things out of, you know, these players because the message is Clearly opposite, you know, to what they're used to doing. Um, so, I, I, sorry, so sorry to talk about Manchester United a little bit too much here, but essentially, no, I think I think I think it's an interesting point though because yeah, I think what Man United, if they had a twenty-four-year-old for twenty-four-year-old Michael Carrick playing for them on Sunday, they don't lose yeah. that game. Absolutely, um, massive injuries as well, which which needs saying as well. And, and Pogba, there's not this whole thing about Pogba. Can he play a? T- he has to play in a two, not a three, because he's not disciplined enough. Um, I, I think Matthews does the work for him. And I think the reason that United lost, it's, it's because of this. I know we're talking about United, but it's still relevant to the article because it's, they, they lost because they all want, they all want to go forward. Yes. And, and they can see the second goal because they still want to go forward. And you don't do that. I've, I've just said this in, in the last pod. When you go a goal down straight away, the first thing you do is you don't go back and equalize. You make sure they don't get a second straight away because that's how you lose the game. The game's gone at 2-0 in the first half. The best you're going to hope for is a point. Um, particularly if you have this Man United side. And I think you know, Michael Carrick playing on that side, they don't go 2 0 behind. You take time yeah. out, you frustrate, you niggle, you kick up, get a book in, annoy one of the wingers, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's management. That is management, yeah, absolutely. So, what you were saying a little bit earlier, Leanne, as well, uh, about these players not necessarily being managers, we'll take the example of Jorginho at Chelsea. So as soon as, um, you know, Sarri was hired, they brought in Jorginho immediately. And, and, and the reason for that was that because Jorginho had played Sarri's system so well for the last three seasons at Napoli that he would be able to, you know, directly, you know, direct the players on the field. And you see that all the time. Uh, in the first two games of the season, essentially every time he's off the ball, he's looking around his shoulder, he's asking where he wants it and he's playing it into space. And then he's looking around again to see where, where all his teammates are. And he's pushing them on or he's bringing them back. Uh, the amount of times he's told, you know, uh, N'Golo Conte to get forward, uh, and then eventually the ball has found him, um, is amazing. And that is, you know, showing, um, his teammates that if you listen to what I'm saying, it's going to work out because what I'm saying is what the manager is saying. So, um, although he may not be a player manager in that particular sense, um, I think that he eventually could evolve into a manager, uh, like you were alluding to earlier, Carl, as well. Um, but, you know, there, there, there could be two types, um, of those kind of, you know, pseudo player managers. The Jorginho type where he is actively moving the players around with his actions. He's organizing everybody to tell them where they should be. And then there's the other players like your De Bruyne's, like your Navigators, uh, who are essentially 
leading their teammates through their actions and they're feeding off what they are doing. So when De Bruyne has the ball, he doesn't need to tell Lira Sane to go hug the wing or make a run. Lira Sane knows that because he knows that he will find him. So that's a, a sort of trust that um, the players have uh, w- between each other and a player would have in their manager. So if you trust your teammates and you trust the system, everything should work out in the end, essentially. There's a really, it's funny if you mentioned Man City because there's a really interesting, sorry, Leon, there's a really interesting point about uh, that whoever the commentator made with the game the other day when um, when Sané came on and know he scored. But um, um, Bernard Mendy didn't have a clue what to do all of a sudden because that was his role. And then he had to just play fullback and he just looked so annoyed <laughs> that he couldn't do the fun stuff anymore. Because <laughs> right. um, I, think, I, I think he was more far forward than Aguero most of the time in that first half. Yeah, absolutely. I had a look at his um, average heat map, uh, or average position, I should say. And he's pretty much bang on in line with uh, Gabby Jesus. So, yeah, yeah. raucous. I, I, ju- I just want to jump in here because there's a couple of things I want to sort of address. I think the first thing is that um, it's interesting how in, in football, mm, in other sports, mm, captains are very much considered sort of not just leaders on the pitch, but they are sort of, they are tacticians on the pitch. They make decisions on the pitch. They do a lot of stuff on the pitch. So, for example, if you look at cricket, it's not, there isn't really a manager in the same sense. There's just coaches and the coaches work on the technique and they work on the philosophy, how they want their players to play. But the sort of the tactical stuff, the sort of the nitty gritty, the field placings, the bowling decisions, that's all sorted on field. And if you watch, there's almost a sort of committee like because you have these experienced players who've been playing at the top level for 10 years and they will sort of, they will talk through the captain with all his decisions. So it's very, very interesting how you get that sort of group managerial dynamic with the sort of the leading players in the dressing room having a very very different role in something like cricket and then similarly in, in rugby you've obviously got players on the pitch who sort of dictate the play a bit more so I do know where, I do get where you guys are coming from and maybe not in the play manager in the literal sense but in the sense that these are players who are very much sort of controllers on the pitch they're, they're telling other people what to do it's, it's they're, leaders they're dic- Le- yeah, it's, Le- it's leaders it's leaders but in a sort of a in a in a tactical way they do have to be tactically astute they have you have to direct their pawns as it were one other element that i think is really interesting is that actually one of the things liverpool have needed in in this is a player manager not in the sense of someone who follow Klopp's orders but someone and this is something that i'm very, that i've talked about quite a lot in other pods but something that i think i feel is very important players who know when not to listen to Klopp or players who have the, inte- the astuteness and the intelligence to go beyond what Klopp tells them because as you say Carl games are not one thing or another games are a series of situations that develop in different ways and you can't always respond and as a manager you can't plan for every situation and what you need is you need players who are tactically astute on the pitch to deal with those situations for you and to direct the players around them to suit certain situations you need players like Virgil van Dijk who understand when it's when they need to not follow the manager's orders, or know when the manager's orders need to be taken in a certain context, or just know that this isn't something that we've planned for. This is how we deal with it, and that's something that you could see was missing against with with United on Sunday. There was a real sense of panic at two 0 at three one. There was a real sense of what do we do here? No, no, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, uh, what do we do here? We don't because they didn't know what they were doing. They, they, I mean, I said at the time they looked like a team who'd never been pressed before. Because they no. just didn't, they they just didn't seem to be able to respond, and I think that's part. I mean, that is partly the manager, but it's also leadership on the field. It's like you say, it's a sort of thing where if you get someone like, a, it's like Gerard. Gerard's a, a prime example of this to an extent, not necessarily in a tactical way, but in a, okay, what are we going to do now? Not a, he doesn't focus on the the what's just. They don't they don't spend ten fifteen minutes trying to work out what's happened. 
they automatically go, how are we going to respond to this? How are we going to deal with this? And this is why I think Van Dyke's important, because uh, Adam was criticising Van Dyke on the Ray Don't Hate pod for basically not following Klopp's orders enough, or for, for not necessarily, for being a bit hasty in his clearances, for being a bit, um, you know, if in doubt, get it out. Um, but I'm I was saying, you know, yeah, exactly. It's one of those where, okay, we've seen players like Lovren and Matip in the past, where they're clearly making mistakes because they're they're thinking too much about what Klopp's told them to do. This is one of the issues I've had with Lovren for a while, in that there are a lot of situations, and this is something that Van Dijk has immediately addressed, there are a lot of situations where Lovren looks at a situation and goes, what has the manager told me to do here? Whether it's zonal marking, whether he just doesn't attack the ball enough. There's a the prime example, I think, is one of the Watford goals in the first game of last season, where where everyone was criticising Lovren for just letting his runner head the ball, for letting his runner run past him and head the ball in. And the response that, and my response to that was, well, that's, that's what Klopp's told him to do. He doesn't yeah. realise that what he needs to do in that situation is ignore what Klopp's telling him. You need a centre back. You need a leader on the field who is astute enough to know when what the manager's telling you either is wrong or doesn't factor into that situation. That's what Van Dyke is in the set. That's why he's a manager in the sense that he is not just doing what Klopp is telling. He's not just transmitting Klopp's orders, but he is deciding for himself what the right thing to do is in doing it and he's not waiting for permission and that's why he's such a good centre-back because he doesn't just transmit Klopp's orders and he doesn't just do that side of the game but he actively makes tactical decisions and responds to them on the pitch and that's what I think is really really interesting about uh, about someone like Van Dijk um, someone like Cater I think would be interesting in the different sense because Cater is extremely tactically aware which means he's a very very good person to transmit a game plan and whether or not that makes him a manager I'm not necessarily sure. I'm not sure that's necessarily a play manager in the same sense. So, yeah, I mean, from from my personal point of view, I think everything you guys are saying is spot on. It's just really interesting to see the change of perceptions of what a player manager is, because it used to be, as I said, a, a player who plays on the field, but also does all the background stuff. Whereas now it's it's almost a, a player manager is a guy who is a player, but manages on the pitch in terms of conveying the the boss's messages, conveying to his teammates and being that communicative figure. So I think that, and that's the whole point in the article um, that Aon writes here because, and, and that's why it's so interesting because times have changed and perceptions have changed and players like Van Dijk, they are so important to the way Liverpool play, just as uh, David Silver is to Man City, um, in that they do exactly what the manager needs. If a situation changes on the pitch, they're alive to it. They know and they can convey what Klopp or Guardiola would do or want them to do. Um, so I, I think in that sense, it's spot on. Um, all, all the point I'm trying to make is it's interesting to see how it's changed from what a play manager used to be. OK, so some really, really interesting points there. Does Anybody have anything they want to add before we move on? Aon, obviously it's your article, so if you want to have a final word on this one, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, absolutely. I just just want to make uh, one more point about you know the, the forms that these these player managers, managers might come through. So if we have a look um, at Arsenal, um, you know a lot of people were you know quite shocked when a 19-year-old midfielder, you know Matteo Ganduzi, is included in the squad when they have you know a dearth of midfield options. You know Aaron Ramsey, Granite Xhaka. Um, you know, mess it over all these guys. Um, and all of a sudden, this 19 year old, you know, French guy who was bought from the second division is leading the team. Um, and quite frankly, I thought he was their best player over the, the last two games. So, um, yeah, but he was up against Granite Jacker though. Yeah. yeah that's, 
That's fair it enough. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, that really needs to be too great to be much better than Granite Jacket. No. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, everything that he did was really evident of, you know, Unamari's style. Um, in the Chelsea uh, game, uh, when um, Aubameyang missed the goal, he uh, Gondesi put the ball in, uh, ball in for Bellerin to cut it back for him. And as soon as Aubameyang missed it, he's on the floor smashing, you know, the turf with his fists. And that's the kind of passion that, you know, I, I think is fantastic. So it's not necessarily, you know, the, the term player manager doesn't necessarily refer to someone who is a captain or an established player on the team. Uh, a veteran. Someone, yeah, it's, it's someone who really embodies what the manager is saying and gets across their message and lifts the team um, to what they should be doing. I'm starting to see why Kyle um, sympathises with James Milner. Um, no, you yeah, that was really... <laughs> uh, no, that's a really interesting article, and I think we've had a really interesting chat about it, guys. We're going to take a short break now, but we'll be back very shortly, and we will discuss Sadio Mane. Hi, Anne. How are you? Um, is everything okay? Yeah, absolutely, Gags. Everything is fine. But you know what? I'm hearing you've got a special offer for Anfield Index Pro. Is that so? Yes, absolutely, and we've got your weekly show, Moby on the Spot, the popular stat show, Under Pressure. Post-match Raw is now back, and loads of other shows available at our lowest price ever. Go on then, Gax. How cheap is that? Get this, mate, get this. It's absolutely free for seven days, and then only thirty-nine ninety-nine for a whole year. New users can now sign up and access everything at AmphilIndexPro.com. I have to say, Gax... That is incredible news. i got to go. Where are you going? Well, to be fair, I need to go and tell Rushy about this offer. <laughs> Thanks. Whilst you're there, please let Rushy know that we accept all major credits and debit cards via the website. And not only that, we've now added PayPal too. And if you want an app option, then via iOS, you can purchase AI Pro through an in-app purchase. Jan? Jan? We are back then, and we are going to talk about Sadio Mane, because, Carl, you've written a really good article about Mane being, in your opinion, underrated. So this is going to be an interesting one to dig straight into. So if you want to give us the overview on your article, and then we'll get into it. Well, the, the point was, really, that um, really good Liverpool sides, of which this is one, there tends to be a favourite within uh, the group. It usually used to be Simon Hippie, used to be Steven Gerrard. Um, and now obviously it's Mo Salah, and I find it really interesting about the, the, across the front three, um, how they're all perceived slightly differently from each other. So obviously last year was Mo Salah's season, and no one's going to dispute that. Of course, it was him. He scored 700 goals in 15 games or whatever it was, and he, he, and you know he gets. And it's not just that; it's also his personality. Um, it's the fact that you know he's very very welcoming and he's very humble at what he does. Um, and then you look at Roberto Firmino, uh, the system can't work without Firmino, and it literally can't. Um, and you know, he's known for, for being sort of, you're forgetting his goals, and, um, I, I make the point that it's really weird with Firmino. I, I say this a lot, that he's playing in the one place where he can only play, because when Rogers bought him and put him, put him on the wing, particularly at Old Trafford, I thought he was hopeless. And you know, you, you, you lose his, um, his endeavour when, when you put him anywhere else apart from in, as a nine and a three. And uh, up front, whereas Sadio Mane, out of the three of them, is probably the one who's least spoke talked about. I thought, I mean, and I wrote this a while ago, but I um, a while ago, maybe two weeks ago, but um, 
it's still the case now. We beat Crystal Palace on Monday. People are talking about Mo Salah. Um, obviously because of, you know, the, the, the one he missed and, and, you know, the, the penalty and the red card. And yet, Sadio Mane's got three goals this season. Already. And I've not seen anyone mention that at all. He's got three goals in two games. And, and you know, he's, it, Watford, first game of last season, Watford scores. I think he scored in, um, seven in ten or something in the first few games of the season last year. And, um, I, I know he's appreciated at, at Liverpool. Of course he is because he was the one first one who came in and made, I, th- I think he was Jurgen Klopp's first signing as in first major. And this is what we're doing now signing. And I don't think like if, if you talk about anyone in the league about playing left coming in off a of three, um, you can talk about the city players all day. You can talk about what's going on at Chelsea because they have a similar system sometimes as we did or they used to. And yet Sadio Mane is just sort of taken red as the bloke who plays, the fast lad he plays alongside Mo Salah. And he's so much more than that. Um, I made a point on the, on the, on the last show I did, um, about his goal against Crystal Palace, which I thought was really interesting. When Salah, when, I'm not saying he's wrong by the way, but when, when Mo Salah got the red card, he went straight for the keeper. He ran straight for the keeper and he invited the tackle. Of course he did. But I thought what most, what, what, what Mane did was really interesting. He deliberately cut across the man who was chasing him. And when you do that, what you're actually doing is you're giving him a chance to get back at you because you're not hurtling away in a straight line. He bends his run to go past the keeper because he knows he's good enough to go past the keeper. And he gets a bit lucky, obviously, because there's a ricochet. But I thought that is what Ian Rush would have done. He wouldn't have gone straight for the goalkeeper in one go. Um, he, he, he would have gone round the keeper and even taken the risk of slowing down. And that, you know, that could catch him. How many times do you see someone have a one-on-one where a keeper, where, where a defender comes back and makes a, a last, a last ditch tackle? Sadia Mane knew what he was doing and things like that. And that's only one thing in a game. And again, I'm not criticizing Mo Salah because how the hell can you? But I just thought that was spoke volumes about that. That takes some technique to what he did for that goal. That's not an easy runaway goal. He didn't have anyone to square it to or anything like that. He just knew what he was doing. And I still think he's underrated. I really do. I think he's absolutely vital to this Liverpool side. Okay, I mean, nothing, nothing I disagree with there. We'll go to you, Aon. What oh, are your on. thoughts? Go on. on, tell me it's <laughs> terrible, go on. What are, your, what are your thoughts on Carl's article and what are your thoughts on Sadio Mane in general? Yeah, well, um, i got to agree with Carl 100%. Um, well, the, the, the first thing that I uh, noticed in his article that is that our trio don't really have a, you know, kind of catchy name like the BBC or the MSN or like the SSS or SAS that we had, you know, years past. Um, and I've, I've tried really, really hard to, to, you know, make an, a nice name for them, but I really couldn't come up with anything good. So at the risk of cutting my very short podcast career even shorter, um, I've, I've come up with a kind of hybrid name of the three of them, which is Saladio for money. You know? <laughs> I love that. Absolutely love oh, it. Oh, you do? Okay. From now on. We're going to steal uh, it. I was expecting just silence after I'd said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, just, just white noise. Liam likes portmanteau words, that's what that is. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really too catchy, but um, we'll, we'll just go with it for now. Um, but yeah, so as you say, uh, he's criminally underrated. So I just had a, a look at the stats um, since he uh, moved to the Premier League. In the 2014-15 season, um, just as a comparison with uh, a player who is largely heralded as the, the best left winger in the league, Eden Hazard. Um, so since since uh, Mane's debut, um, he's made uh, 125 appearances, 
scored 47 goals and 21 assists. That's uh, in that same time period. Yeah, that's, that's quite amazing. Um, that's, that's a goal contribution every two games, essentially. Um, and Hazard, in that time, has made 141 appearances with 46 goals and 23 assists. So he's outperforming Hazard in direct goal contribution. Um, I understand that they're completely you know, different players uh, in that sense. Hazard is, quite frankly, one of the best dribblers in the world. Um, well, there's a, ca- there's a caveat there as well, because yeah. uh, Hazard had a gear off under Marina. When he did, well, when pretty he much, yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. He basically said, no, no, I'm not playing. That's pretty much what he got. I'll, I'll go yeah. on the pitch, but I'm not playing. Yeah. But what does, that, yeah. what does that say about Hazard compared to Sadio, though? Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. What does it yeah. say about Mane's attitude and compared to Hazard's attitude there? Well, Hazard's also looking at Real Madrid as well. Because he just is. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, it, it does show that, that, you know, the attitude of Mane, just, it doesn't stop. Like, he's always hungry to go on, you know, especially being part of this fantastic, you know, front three. Even if he is overlooked, he's still just so thirsty, you know. Three goals in the first two games. Seven in his last ten, you know, quite frankly, um, outstanding output. Um, a little bit, delving a little bit further into the article when, um, you mentioned that, you know, the left hand side, uh, could probably be a little bit more potent, uh, than the right hand side. I completely agree with that. I think, um, Mane and Robertson, especially now with, um, Keita, um, playing that left midfield role, absolutely, uh, have, you know, defenses shaking in their boots. Um, Robertson's delivery, you know, is, is excellent. Navi's movement, is excellent as well. For Salah's first goal against West Ham, that could have been Mane tucking in as well. All, all yeah. three of them were really hungry to get that in. Um, and I, I'm really loving this uh, connection that um, Mane's got with Keita. Obviously, they played together um, at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Um, and after after the the Palace game, I saw just Mane embracing Keita, just, just with an absolute massive smile on his face, just essentially saying, like, you know what, this is going to be our year and you're the guy that's going to do it for us. And I thought that, that was an absolutely beautiful moment. You know, um, and, and another thing that, um, you know, really caught my eye is, um, the, the, the fact that he's got the number 10 jersey this season. Uh, when he scored that first goal, uh, against West Ham, massive smile on his face, turns around to the crowd and points to the number 10 on the back of yeah. his shirt. I, th- I think, I think that means a lot to him, uh, as yeah. well. And I, th- and I think that, you know, he's so very grateful of Klopp trusting him with that, with that number. And, you know, he's going to do great things with it. It's John Barnes' shirt. It's Terry yeah. McDermott's shirt. It's also Joe Cole's shirt, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> I, I love that he's got the 10 shirt. I absolutely yeah. bloody love it. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think one of, maybe, maybe that's part, what you were talking about, the left side being dominant. Maybe that's part of the reason why Mane doesn't score as many as Salah, because Robertson's crosses generally favour, uh, the sort of the Salah type run from the, uh, yeah. at the back post to put oh, him in. Yeah. Although obviously, yeah, obviously, um, obviously Mane still gets goals off Robertson's crosses, but, Salah's the sort of the role that Salah takes is slightly different as a result, and obviously the crossing is better from the left-hand side. Um, so, Leanne, your thoughts on this one? I, I know, I know. I mean, we're all big Sadio Mane fans. We're Liverpool fans. How can we not be? What do you think about the perception that maybe he's not as appreciated as Bobby Firmino and Mo Salah? Yeah, I mean, I think it's spot on. Um, I, I think what's interesting is, as Carl said, Firmino is regarded and still regarded by many. We had this conversation quite a few months ago. About including, you, Firmino, about including you, about including you. Yeah, about how Firmino was um, still underrated, and now we're looking at uh, Salah and saying how good he is, and, and now obviously we're talking about Mane and, and how he's underrated and underappreciated, not just like maybe from some Liverpool fans, but I think the key aspect is actually that he's underrated by other people and by that outside world. 
Um, and I think that's really interesting because, as has been said, he started the season very, very well and he's shown people that he is actually a very, like, very good footballer. It's maybe just a case of such was Salah's form that Mane maybe didn't look like he was quite at his best sometimes last season. A lot of people were saying, oh, Mane's having a disappointing campaign. He doesn't look himself. Salah's yeah, yeah, come yeah. in. And, and he actually had his best his... season ever. Exactly. And, and the stats back that up and, and show... You know, what, what are people going on about here? This is a very, very good player who's having a very good season. Um, but the one thing I would say um, is heading into this new campaign, everyone seems to actually be pointing at Mane as, as the guy, and that's only been heightened by his performances so far. People talking maybe to illustrate how underappreciated he had been before, but now they're saying you know, Mane's the guy who's potentially going to get 30 goals this season. Not Salah. Mane's going to be the, the key one. Um, and, and right up there in terms of Liverpool needing someone, okay, it's going to be Mane who steps up. So again, I think it's really interesting to see the change in perception. Um, as far as Liverpool fans are concerned, as you said there, Tom, we all love him. We all know he's a great footballer. Um, it, it's just funny that sometimes people maybe think from the outside that he's not having a good season or a good game, but actually he, he's on fire. Um, but, Hey, when you're in a such a good attack as Liverpool have, sometimes you don't look as good, but you are. I, I think the, I think he's the best left winger in the league. I I genuinely believe that, and he's not even a left winger. That's the thing that a lot of people don't yeah, maybe appreciate. Say. He's not even a left winger, and he's the best left winger in the league. What does that say about him? I, I think there's two there's two different th- two things about Mane which are overlooked as well. Firstly, and this is a big deal, he scores in a European Cup final. I mean that that that's a big. If I was can about do that, to say that. If you can do that, if you, if you can do that, you're a big time player. We you know, we you, don't talk about that game, Carl. Come on. I think it's frustrating. I think it's frustrating. A lot of people like don't want to think about that game in positive terms because it rules out the fact that Sadio Mane was the player who, in a Champions League final, when we were up against the brick wall, stood up and was counted. Yeah, and the, and the other thing, and this is absolutely vital, is nothing disappoints me more when people talk about strikers and call them great strikers when they get a goal a game. Sadio Mane gets doubles. I really like that from a forward. Because, I mean, I, I made this point um, on on, uh, on the main pod last week about when Sturridge came on against West Ham, scored the goal and literally ran to me. That's what it looked like at the time. I was in the cars at the corner flag. And, um, and people said, oh, yeah, it's a great story. He scored in like 12 seconds, whatever it was. But he wanted a second goal. His movement was looking for second goals. And that's what good strikers do. They're not happy with one goal. They just think, I've got a chance for Moria. And there's so many times that, that strikers, um, get a goal in a game and, um, I'm not going to give examples, but, uh, and think, that's me done. I've got my goal. That's fine. And M- Mane is so hungry for that second goal. He just, he likes to see that he's got behind a player and he likes to just completely go at them all the time. He never sits back and thinks, that's me done. And th- uh, that, I think you, you've got a player when you can, you've got someone who can do that. Yeah. The other thing I like about Mane is his consistency. I'm look, you look at his goal record, and I, I, I posed this question a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. How many wingers have scored 10 goals a season in the Premier League four seasons running? Because that's what he's done now. He's scored four, 10 Premier League goals four seasons running, which for a winger is really impressive. And for the last yeah. three seasons, he's added at least five assists as well, which is really good. I mean, well, I mean, you, the- say la- you say last season was his best season. In terms of Champions League, obviously it was, but in terms of Premier League, it's only, you know, 
second or third in terms of end product, which is what's exciting. He's because he's consistently been delivering in terms of end product in the Premier League, even with Southampton, and Southampton weren't that good. Yeah, um, just just quickly while we're on the subject of stats, um, Melissa Reddy posted one the other day um, after our first game of the season, and Sadio Mane was the first Liverpool player to score in three consecutive opening Premier League games since John Barnes between 1989, at uh, 1989-90 and 1991-92. So again, that just shows. The, the kind of player Sadio Mane is, really. Um, I think someone else tweeted 14 goals in his last 19 appearances for Liverpool. So, again, this is a very, very good goal-scoring record he's got, and yet he's not really talked about as much, probably because of just how good Salah's season was last year. But he's one of the most consistent players as well. He's always a step ahead. He's always continuing to work hard. As Carl, you mentioned there, he, it's not like he gets a goal and he stops. He carries on with the intelligent yeah. runs, the intelligent movement, always looking to get in behind. And, and I know uh, I said we don't mention that game, but you brought it up. So uh, uh, Kiev, even though you know the game was against us and things weren't going our way, Mane was still working hard. He still kept his head up. He still kept ticking over and he got his goal. So I think in, in itself, that's testament to what kind of player he is. And just the fact that he never stops going and, and there's so many different aspects to his his game that make him such a handful for defenders. I can't believe Melissa got a, got a John Barnes stat before I did. Furious. Not yeah, um, lots of <laughs> lots of good discussion about this one. Um, Aon, I want to go to you now on this one. Um, what aspects of Mane's game do you think he needs to maybe? sort of show to get him maybe to maybe shake off this underrated tag because Mo Salah is one of those players who's been able to maybe shake off any sort of tags like that by being so so dynamic and so destructive what elements of Mane's game do you want to see improve maybe not take it to the next level sort of getting back in the public eye as being one of Liverpool's main men because it's worth remembering you know before Salah came along in 16-17 Mane was the main man it, it was Mane who was leading our attack so how how would you see him potentially getting back to that uh, I think it's a, it's a really good question um, because you know as, as you say it, it all it is it is all a matter of perspective because you know he's had his better best season you know in terms of goals and assists last season but Salah's just outdone him with you know 32 and 12 in, in the league so obviously that's just not sustainable for anyone to, com- to compete with that but um I, what what I did see especially in the Palace game uh was uh instead of you know sticking to his wing or you know playing on the shoulder I saw him you know, kind of dropping deep a little bit um, and, you know, looking to actually be kind of like that inverted winger that uh, we, we see a lot in the Premier League these days. Um, you know, grabbing the ball or maybe off Robertson or off Kader, looking, getting his head up, looking to slide Robertson in on the left-hand side or even spraying the ball out to Trent on the other side or, you know, playing a ball through for Bobby. And I think um, if, he, if he can add that kind of kind of killer ball, uh, if you will, uh, uh, to his game... That are really, you know, take him out of the shadows, um, and you know, maybe add a, another facet to that because, um, aside from really Natty, I don't think we have another player that can um, do that. Maybe, maybe Lalana could, um, you know, get that killer ball through, but um, you know, his fitness record is not something that we can really rely on. So if we can have two players that are able to actually, you know, slot balls in between the lines and you know, get you know, Bobby one on one or Mo one on one with a keeper, uh, especially against the deeper blocks. Uh, I think that's what will be, you know, something that we can look back on in, in hindsight at the end of the season and say, that, wow, this guy's really, you know, improving as a player. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think in many ways with Sadio, it, 
it's as much about what he doesn't do than what he does. He he works really hard defensively. You never see him making huge mistakes. You never see him uh, getting down. You never see him stop trying. That's the thing. I think one thing that maybe one aspect of his game we talked about is his finishing. I know that's one aspect of his game that is maybe one area he can work on. Um, you consider, you compare, for example, his chance, his chance is a finishing ratio to someone like Bobby or someone like Salah, and it's a lot lower. He scores a lot less goals than Salah because he, his finishing is not as good, and that's one element of his game that we'd like to see improve. But I think the other thing that's really, really important is that out of that front three, he does a lot of the defensive work rate as well. And I think his defensive work rate is one of those really underappreciated elements of his game. Because you look at someone like Hazard, they just don't do the same level of work that Mane has to do. And I know that's kind of standard with coming in a clock team, clock team. But Mane does a lot of hard work. His average position, there's so many examples just in that Palace game where he's having to defend back in his own half. On, on that note, I just wanted to ask a, a brief question. It ties in quite well with what you just said there, actually. Um, but we, we sort of spoke about the perception of Salah. The question I guess I'd want to ask Carl um, to start with is what you think, and we'll go to everyone else afterwards, what you think Sadio Mane's total for the season will be? Because obviously three goals already set off really well. His finishing has looked good this season. Um, but I do get Tom's point. But I, I guess that's that's the next thing to think about. What type of season is he in for in terms of goals? I think he'll get more goals than Salah. Seriously, See, I do. Yeah, that's that's my take as well. Because um, he's going to get more space because the league knows what Salah can do now. So they're going to start doubling up on him more changing systems so they can pick him up more. And um, of the three of them, Mane covers more of the pitch. I, I don't know if that's a, I can't back that up, but it seems to me watching him with the games that he, he he's all over that front line. He, you know, he doesn't mind going over to the right and picking up spare balls and stuff like that. And uh, I think out of the three of them, that he's going to get the more goals. I don't think he will. I disagree with you on that one. I think even if you look at the, even if you look at the first couple of games, the evidence. Is I'll, still I'll there. be elated to be wrong. I'll be absolutely elated. I, I just, I, th- I think he'll score a lot. I don't get me wrong. I think he'll score more goals. I think he'll score fifteen, twenty. But I think, I think if you look at the opening, even if you look at the opening couple of games. There's all the evidence in the world is still there that Salah is likely to end up scoring 25, 30 goals a season. Because so, even after two after two games, sorry, just quickly, after two games, Salah has the highest expected goals of anybody in the league, comfortably more than Mane. So even even if he hasn't quite taken the chances yet, Mo Salah, he's still going to be the player who's getting the chances and the most chances. I guess I guess moving moving away from like the comparisons of what Salah and Firmino may or may may not get. Tom, you said they're 15 to 20 goals. Carl, if you put a number on it, how many would you say? 23. And Aon, what what are you thinking? Because obviously that's that's a bit of a difference there. Yeah, well, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I kind of agree with Tom here. I think that yeah, that, that Salah has shown over the first two games that he is you know our, our most dangerous um, you know threat. Um, but I do think that um, Sadio can get great goals, uh, a great number of goals. I think Sadio can, can score 20 plus in the league, but Salah might even score 25 plus. Um, I do have. Um, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. That's yeah, going. that's, yeah, that's, that's, that right that's the way I see it going. I just, I just don't see, um, you know, the number of games that we won't score in 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 the Premier League. I, I can see that being a maximum of maybe two or three. Like, which which teams are going to stop us from scoring? City can't do it. They're the best team in the league. Um, I, I well, a, a record would say Cardiff at home. 
Yeah, okay, yeah. Because <laughs> that's the way that's, things... Oh, you're best at Stoke anymore, so that's something. Yeah, yeah, that's something that we need to work on. I mean, seven draws at home last year really wasn't good enough. I mean, I know we came off the season undefeated, but that's just not enough. No, that's not title winning form. Um, just something that... Space on. Yeah, um, something that you you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, Carl, uh, about, you know, uh, teams being aware of um, Salah's threat. Um, that's something that I've been seeing a lot, uh, a sentiment that's shared a lot um, on the internet. Um, I don't, I don't quite agree with that because it's not like all of a sudden teams know that most Salah is a fantastic player overnight. They knew he was great last season as well and they really couldn't stop him from doing anything. So I, I do understand that Sadio will be afforded some more space because Mo is that good of a player and Bobby does, you know, create space with absolutely great, you know, false nine movement and, you know, off the ball runs. Um, but, um, I, I still think that, that Mo is such a good player. Even if teams are going to give him more attention, they still can't stop him. Um, but, you know, I, I do take your point that, you know, Sadio can, can definitely score 20 plus, you know, goals this season. Based on the opening two games, there's absolutely no evidence that teams are going to find a way to stop Mo Salah. Uh, yeah, the only, the only reason Mo doesn't have three or four goals already this season is poor finishing. That's literally it. Mm, I agree. I, I think he's looked a little, obviously he still looks very good. And someone tweeted the other day, I think it was, um, Steve from, from Redman TV said, you know, everyone's talking about how Salah's not really kicked off yet, but he won us a penalty. He was getting heavily involved and he still made a, a big contribution, which talks about the type of season he had last year. And he, I think he will still, um, you know, get, get close to last year. Maybe not as good, but I think he's in for another great season. And, and money as well. I really do. I, I, I think. Um, they both them well. <laughs> yeah, in terms of money, I think he's in for a very big season as well. Uh, hopefully that new contract. But but yeah, I think to, to have a front three that we've got where Firmino's obviously tied down now, Salah's tied down. Uh, these are two contracts. They're not actually tied down, just to clarify. Um, but, you know, Mane, getting him um, down to a new five-year deal as well would be great. And, and to keep those three players together, they really complement each other. So when we're talking about Mane's season, that's why, you know, we're all discussing Firmino and Salah because they're intertwined and, and they rely so much on each other's movement in order to score their goals. For what it's worth with regards to Salah's, uh, not Salah, sorry, with, with regards to Mane's contract, I think it's just a case of timing. We've seen this time and again with the club. Yeah. They're waiting, they're waiting for the right moment to announce it rather than, uh, um, rather than it being the case that it's not done yet. That's my take on it anyway. They, they've made it number 10. You don't make someone number 10 unless they're staying. No, definitely. Seriously, you don't do it. You don't give someone a number 10 shirt and then he's gone by Christmas. Just don't do that. Okay then, lads. Is there anything else that anyone wants to jump in on before we, before we uh, yeah. finish up? Yeah, I'm not a lad. <sighs> Every time. Literally, <laughs> I'm the, I am the only person in any group chat who ever goes lads and Leanne. And you're calling me out on it now. <laughs> Okay, um, so you're, in that you're case... A dis- you're a disgrace, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in that case, we will go to plugs, and we will start with you then, Carl. Is there anything you wanted to plug? Yeah, there is. <laughs> I've just done seven minutes worth on the last podcast just about this. Um, I run a website called Some Green Grass and a Bull, which I started um, because uh, it's been pointed out that I've been writing Liverpool articles for quite some time now. And, um, I never get the opportunities to write about anything else. And I like writing about niche subjects, such as things like Cardiff City beating Real Madrid in 1971, things like that. 
Um, and this week's the, the great Stephen Scrag has um, managed to, to get an interview with Nick Owen. Um, obviously, you're all far too young to know that Nick Owen was a, a, um, a breakfast TV presenter with Anne Diamond in the 90s. And uh, he's the former chairman of Luton Town FC. And he's a very, very nice, very witty man. So very pleased with that. So some green grass in the ball. Um, there's articles on there about things like Carlos Puyol's career at Barcelona, about Palmer. There's a World Cup series. I have written a piece about a man called Robin Friday, who's the greatest footballer you'll never see, because um, he only played like fourth division. And um, so that's some green grass in a ball. Leanne's on it as well, would you believe? And um, Would you believe? Did, would you believe? And it didn't need editing. I will have you know, Leanne is an excellent writer. I've, yeah, I've got a reputation, actually. Uh, someone was telling me the other day that I'm one of the most, like, least edited writers that they come across, they just don't have to edit my work. I edited. That's um Well, well, Trev Downey wrote a piece last week about love, love for Matthias, and I changed. I had to um, hyphenate uh, two words together, and he was furious with me, absolutely furious because I went in and edited something he'd done. Um, but no, Le- Leanne's wasn't. <laughs> Leanne, I didn't change a word of Leanne's. Uh, so that's that. And uh, um, as of what must be ten days now, my second novel is out called Falling Without Landing. It's available on Amazon as a Kindle download. It's £5, and it's already got five, four five-star reviews out of four on Amazon, and I'm very, very, very proud of it. So please buy that. Please do. And Aeon, is there anything that you wanted to plug? Uh, yeah, well, I just essentially my, my, my future work at um, Anfield Index. Uh, I'm writing a very exciting uh, article about uh, Romdoiders, uh, which will be out next week. So uh, if you want to give that a read, that would be great. Um, you can follow me on Twitter for my usual football banter. Wicked. Do that as well. Uh, all of the, as ever, all of the, our Twitter tags will be in the tweets. Uh, so if you just find the Anfield Index tweet for the brightest pod, you'll be able to find all of our tweets, uh, all of our, uh, Twitter hash, Twitter addy ats on there. Assuming you've, uh, not already gone through that. And Leanne, is there anything you need to plug? Uh, yeah. So, uh, first of all, the app thing is called a handle, by the way. Um, Thank God for that. <laughs> I was really struggling through that sentence. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, just as Tom said, obviously we we get two writers on each week, and it's it's down to their work that we can produce podcasts like this. So definitely check them out on Twitter and their articles. Um, from my point of view, I've got an article out at the moment, which kind of there's been a lot of talk about Liverpool's net spend and their spending this summer because of um, a guy named Jose Mourinho, who just loves to comment and blame everything on Liverpool and Klopp. Um, so I wrote an article on that and and about this idea that Liverpool are spending a lot of money when actually they're not. Um, but when they have spent money like this summer, it's been in a sustainable way with players who sort of embody what Klopp is about, which, again, we've talked about today. Um, other than that, uh, some green grass and a ball, I've obviously featured on it, as Carl said. It is very, very good, so definitely check that one out. Um, and I'll be having I'll have a couple of articles out in, in the coming days on Anfield Index, so just keep an eye. A couple, she says, knowing full well it's going to be at least three, probably four. Yeah. I would have said four. Check out all of the Ant's five billion articles. Check out all of the five billion articles that she's going to be producing. <laughs> she's an absolute workaholic. I, I genuinely don't know when Leanne sleeps, to be honest with you, between podcasting, I... writing. Working experience, actually actual paid jobs, all the other crazy things she does. Um, uh, as for me, I'm going to plug two things that I'm not going to plug again for a while because it's the start of the season. First one is the key stats. I 
do the key stats articles for all of Anfield Index's game, all of local games for Anfield Index, uh, where I basically pick out some of the key numbers that I think are really interesting from the game and try and contextualize them, try and find some sort of narrative to fit them. Um, and the other thing is Rate Don't Hate, which is the new Anfield Index Pro podcast that myself, Adam Petrucian, and um, Kay Kalem do, which I'm really excited about. It's really good fun. We basically do player ratings for the match, but we basically compare and contrast them with what all of our subscribers think, what some of the other main Liverpool websites think, what me and Adam think. And we basically have just a fun debate about player performances. It's a really good pod that we really enjoy doing. Um, yeah, other than that, as Leanne said, we couldn't do the writers without our writers. So please go and... Um, Check out all of the content that's on the site and keep following the writers pod. And we will be back uh, next week. Usual sort of time, I imagine. We will see you then. Podcast Network.